I want to tell you about a podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. As a parent myself of a child who's had an IEP since kindergarten and he's now a 10th grader, I know how confusing, overwhelming, frustrating, sometimes daunting the whole process can be. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans. And what I love about it is how easily Juliana explains everything. She answers common questions that probably every parent or caregiver has. She dispels myths and is concise and to the point. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. And there's a direct link in the show notes if you need it. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode 35, with guest Isabel Fox and Duke. All resources and links that you hear in this episode can be found at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 35. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host, the girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Andrea Owen here. So excited to bring you this week's episode of the podcast with my friend and colleague, Isabel Foxen Duke, who has the best name ever, by the way. Before we jump in, I just wanted to read to you a little bit about who she is. Isabel Fox and Duke is a health coach and emotional eating expert. She helps women who can't stop sneaking food in the middle of the night, binge eating after a long day at work, and who are constantly on tiring food regimens with no long-term success. In short, she helps women stop being crazy around food and weight. So without further delay, here is the episode. Hey there, ass kickers. Welcome to episode 35. Oh, and uh, you guys, if you've been listening to me long enough now, you know that I like to do some sing-songy things. So there you go. Mm-hmm. That's number one. First 10 seconds. Mm-hmm. You've already met Isabel. Uh, so why don't you say a quick hello? Hello, ass kickers. I'm Isabel. <laughs> I think I've met some of you before, so hello right. again to those of you who I've met before. Exactly. Yes, you were. You've been a guest speaker in in some of my classes, and I think that this is the first time you've actually been on the podcast. So, welcome to the York and Guest Life Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I've done an episode with another guest about we talked about disordered eating, and I think that. You know, this topic is long overdue and and you talk a lot about emotional eating and you work with women on this and and binge eating and and all of the layers in between. So first, I would love for you to tell us your story and with emotional eating and binge eating and, you know, what that looked like, because I'm sure a lot of people can relate. 
Yeah. Um, I ever, you know, anytime anyone asks me this question, I always say, do you want the long version or the short version? I'm going to try and keep it like somewhere in between. So, um, <laughs> so I mean, basically, you know, I have, um, I, I'm one of those people, you know, some people can remember exactly like when they started dieting or like when they were, you know, told they were too fat or, you know, some people have that moment of like, this is when it all started. I do not have that moment. I was like, have basically been on a diet since as far back into my childhood as I can remember. You know, like my mother used to, she like kind of says this as a joke, but it's also kind of horrible and sad. She said that, you know, there was a, you know, I was, went to my pediatrician. I was probably, you know, two or three years old. And, um, I would guess I was like high on the baby BMI charts or whatever that means. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, told my mom to put me on this baby diet. So, um, my mom calls it the broccoli and skin milk diet. So I, you know, yeah, I was essentially from a very young age, I was, my food was being controlled in some capacity. And I was aware that weight was an issue for as, as far back as I can possibly remember. Um, and just, you know, knowing like fat is bad, thin is good, you know, fat Mm -hmm. is bad, thin is good. So, um, yeah. So I, uh, was always on diets, you know, of course, you know, as you kind of are, when you're young, you're not as in control of your food, but I remember, you know, as quickly as I could start to control my own food, my behaviors became like more and more restrictive. So I remember in middle school, I remember, um, my mother would get ready for work. She was a working mom. She would get ready for work while me and my sister were eating our breakfast and she would, you know, put out the cereal and milk on the table in the morning before we woke up and then she would go get dressed and we would be responsible for putting our cereal and milk and, you know, making ourselves breakfast with Mm -hmm. the cereal and milk. And so I actually would, I remember, you know, and probably I was, you know, 10, you know, 11 years old, 10 or 11 years old. And I remember putting in a little bit of milk and like a few flakes of cereal in the milk almost to like pretend that I had eaten something, right? Like to like, I didn't actually eat any of it, but I just wanted to make the bowl look like you it had been used. It, huh? Yeah, I was like faking it. I was faking it. So I remember, you know, those kinds of behaviors from a really young age. And, you know, it just was just progressive of like trying to, you know, eat, like eat as little as possible or get away with eating less or cutting things out, you know, going vegan for no other purpose than weight loss, but telling everyone that I was going vegan because of, you know, ethical reasons right. or because of whatever other reasons, because it was like sounded cool, but like really it was purely a weight loss related motivation. Um, you know, of course I am a big fan for anyone who's vegan for ethical reasons. That's awesome. But that just wasn't my story. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, So yeah, so basically I was, you know, I was always kind of doing these like secret restrictive behaviors, like my restrictive behaviors around food were always really secret. And I didn't really want people to know that I was kind of, you know, dieting in quotes, even though I totally was. And I didn't want and then of course, when I would, you know, fall off the diet, which I'm, you know, a big, I have a huge understanding, like, what for every diet, there's sort of an equal and opposite binge. And I want to talk about in a second what I mean by the word diet, because I think there's some confusion about that. But 
you know, I was really secretive about dieting and then I would always end up binge eating and that was really shameful. So it was like everything about my food, everything about my, my relationship with food and how I was eating was constantly a secret. It was like constantly this like big source of shame that I even had body issues, you know, like who wants to admit that they like struggle with their weight? Like it's such an unsexy thing. Well, and it sounds like it controlled your life from so many different aspects, like not just food, but like all your thoughts and emotions around it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was constant. I was like Mm -hmm. constantly thinking about it. I was like, okay, like how can I, you know, should I, um, can I like go out to eat with these people? What am I going to be able to eat if I go out to dinner with these people? That's an addiction. That's where I felt towards the end with, with alcohol. And that's like why I had to change my life. (laughs) Exactly. No, totally. And I often say like, it's the dieting. That's like the real addiction. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like dieting in and of itself, like trying to control and manipulate your food and thinking about like, when am I going to eat? What can I eat? You know, that is how much I'm eating. Are they noticing how little I'm eating? Like you did with your mom. Right. Yeah. Like that think the thinking about food all of the time is what actually takes us out of ourselves, Mm -hmm. right? Like you could theoretically, I could like eat a brownie emotionally, right? Like I could eat a brownie because I'm like border anxious and still like make a conscious aware decision to like feel the fact that I'm border anxious, right? Like I actually am a little bit, um, this is controversial, but I actually think that you could theoretically consciously eat emotionally and still feel your feelings. I don't necessarily buy this idea that if you're eating Mm emotionally, right. I don't think that if you're eating emotionally, you're therefore not able to feel your feelings. Like there's nothing about that. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing about eating food that makes you unable to feel your feelings. What I think really takes us out of our feelings is how we think about the food, right? Like if we're constantly, the way we're thinking about the food, if we're like, if we're, that's, that's what makes us unconscious, mm-hmm. right? It's like thinking about food all the, you know, effing time that makes us unconscious and unaware. It's like living in a brain, living in a world where like food is like all that matters and like we're constantly thinking about like when we can eat and what we can eat and oh my God, I can't believe I ate that. And and I'm such a fat ass and blah, blah, blah. Like that is the, that's the land of like, that's like a whole world. That's like a whole like t- consciousness that takes us away from reality. Mm-hmm. So I was just living, I call it food brain. Like when you're just like in food brain, when you're just like thinking about food all the time and therefore not actually really, that's really when you're, you're not thinking about life and you're not really, really feeling your feelings when you're living in food brain, food mm-hmm. brain Food brain is the real problem. Yeah. So when so, did you finally get to a point where where you knew it was a problem that you felt like it, it could be changed? Like where I'm I'm interested in like where did you see any hope? Yeah. So um so well I had a you know what many people call like a bottom out moment. Um, when I, I like eventually at some point in my career was like so desperate to be my dieting career. I was so, um, desperate to be thin that I ended up turning to drugs. Right. And I was like abusing stimulants. I was abusing, you know, diet pills, Adderall, cocaine, like I was any kind of stimulant I could get my hands on. I was using, cause that was the only way that I could figure out how to not eat was, to abuse stimulants. And um, eventually I got kicked out of college as a 19 year old who's addicted to stimulants, like often, you know, is at risk for. So uh, my, you know, my college found out and they were like, you need help. Like you need to go, like, Mm -hmm. we can't have you here. Like there's nothing we can do for you. And, And at that point, all they knew was that I was using drugs. And I was like, I don't think you understand. I, if you send me to rehab for drugs, that's one thing, but like, I will still continue to be a crazy person. Like I need help. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
Like, I need help around food. Like, this is why I'm doing this is because I am so desperate to be thin and I cannot figure out how to control myself any other way. Like, this is an old, this is like the ultimate, that was like the ultimate act of desperation. So I basically like, yeah, I like found myself, I was like in a hospital room, like having like eaten too much Adderall studying for exams and like crying, freaking out. I had like, you know, an IV of like benzodiazepines in my arm and they were like, and I was just like, I can't, like I, this is, I can't, I can't not do drugs and stay thin. Somebody help me, you mm-hmm. know? And I was just, that was how I thought about it at the time was like, can somebody teach me how to stay thin? Can somebody teach me how to control my food without drugs? That was what I went to rehab trying to figure out. Mm-hmm. That was like my original motivation. <laughs> I want to get help, but I still want to stay thin in the meantime. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and that was, and that was really funny because for a really, so then I went to rehab and I did like, you know, all these various work ED recovery programs and, and, um, you know, was on meal plans and like seeing like every nutritionist. I was like at like the fanciest therapist in New York city. And, you know, I had like top shelf treatment. I was really lucky. Um, and you know, it was like in, you know, inpatient re- treatment for several months. And basically, like, you know, it took me years to get to the point where I realized, like, oh, this isn't about figuring out how to stay thin without doing self-harming behaviors. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not what this is necessarily about. Like, as long as my motivation is to constantly control my size as, like, the end-all, be-all of, like, my happiness and my life, as long as that's my motivation, my self-harming behaviors are going to happen. Self-harming behaviors are a result of, like, not liking myself the way I am. Yeah. Yeah. I just nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it took me years of trying to quote unquote, find recovery before I got that, before I realized like, wow, body image is not some like woo woo word that people threw around. Like when I used to hear the phrase, like love your body the way it is, like my brain would just shut down. I was like, Mm -hmm. what does that even mean? Like, I don't even know what you're saying. I don't care. I, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. Self love. I was like, I don't even know what that looks like. Exactly. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I was like, that is a meaningless word that like that's like a hallmark phrase. You know what I mean? Like it has no actual like concrete meaning in my life. I think it and you know, and I and I wanna point out too that I think for some people, like not all people, but I think that when you're so far removed from that and yeah. it, and it may, I don't know if you felt this way, but like I felt like those people are over there, and I am way over here, and there is definitely something wrong with me, and I don't know what the answer is. Which which actually brings me to my next question. I know that you you kind of started to to um, allude to what what it looks like, and I know that your story is 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 kind of extreme, and I know that there are stories that are even worse than that. But can you tell us like what? What does emotional eating and binge eating and, you know, wherever you were, like this really unhealthy relationship food, can you give us like, um, however you want to explain it, but I'm thinking of like a checklist or a criteria of how someone can know if they fall into that category. Feel like you're the martyr in your family. You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, 
we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Yeah, well, I think one of the big ones is definitely food brain, right? Like, are you thinking about food all the time? Like, how big of a role does food play in your life? Like, are you a person who is like out there, like living well, like loving life, not really thinking about food unless it's like time to eat, however you want to define that and then eating? Or are you like a person who's like constantly like managing and worrying about your weight? Like, I think that that's sort of criteria number one. Criteria number two is this idea of like, do you find yourself either on or off the wagon all of the time? Like that was how I lived my entire life until I finally started dealing with some of these like, you know, body image issues and like really healing my relationship with food was like, I was always on or off the wagon. I was either on the diet and like sitting on my hands, trying not to eat and like, you know, successfully doing what I was supposed to, to get thin. But then like the second I would fall off, it was like, I was off to the races, you know, it was, I was, I, when I was off, I was off. Like when I was off, I was like knee deep in bounty, brownie batter off. Like Mm -hmm. it wasn't pretty. Like I was, um, you know, I was binge eating, you know, like it was ugly. And, and, and more to the point, binge eating doesn't necessarily have anything to do with how much you're eating. I think that that's an important distinction too. It's like binge eating just means eating with like shame and judgment, like eating while hating yourself, you know, like eating and like judging yourself for eating and feeling badly about what you eat and like Mm -hmm. feeling horrible about what you ate when you ate, like that's binge eating. Like I think it has more to do with the shame and judgment around the act than like how much. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's such an important distinction. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because I went through periods when I was not well, where I, I, I made it in my mind that I was okay because I did not binge like the girls that you saw on TV, like in intervention and like those kind of shows where they would, there was this one that I saw, I remember, and she was a bulimic and she would go to the, um, the Chinese buffet and she would, she would eat like six plates of Chinese food and then she would go and purge. And I was like, well, I don't binge eat because I don't, and I would purge, but I wouldn't binge. So I would just purge whatever I ate for lunch. It was like a normal portion. So I'm like, but I'm not, but I'm not bulimic 
Right, 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 right. Exactly. And I think that that's so important. It's like, so those are the two distinctions that I like to make is one, in the diet binge cycle, both the words diet and the words binge are so misunderstood. Number one, binge, in my opinion, has nothing to do with how much you eat. It has to do with like your motivation. It has to do with how you feel about yourself when you're eating. Dieting, kind of similarly, like dieting doesn't necessarily mean you're like, on Atkins or South Beach or like going paleo. It doesn't necessarily have to do with your behaviors. Again, it has to do with how you feel about what you're doing. If you are trying to control your food for the purpose of trying to control how you feel about yourself, right? Like if you're trying to control your food for the purpose of controlling your self-esteem, right? Like if what you ate that day determines how you get to feel about like who you are as a person, then that's a diet, you know, like the whole good or bad thing. Like I've been so good or I've been really bad today. Like that makes me want to like, I crawl out of my skin when I hear that. Cause that's what it's, that's what's happening. Exactly. And that's, and sort of when people, when people talk about the diet binge cycle, as long as what you ate that day makes you get to feel good or badly about yourself, it's just a matter of time before you cross that threshold of not okay. And then you're in like binge eating, eating with judgment, eating with shame, hating yourself while you're eating territory. Like that's mm-hmm. really the definition of binge eating. So it's like, as long as you're dieting, which means as long as your food choices dictate how you get to feel about yourself, binge eating by definition, by this definition is also inevitable because no matter what, like at some point you're going to cross that threshold of not okay. Like right. perfect eating is not a thing. Like that doesn't happen ever. Right. So, um, yeah. So it's really like, you know, the whole, both the definitions of diet and binge, I think when you like really boil them down, like those differ wildly from person to person. Mm -hmm. But what remains the same, in my opinion, is like, how do they make you feel about your how about yourself? How is your self esteem related to each of those things? If your self esteem is related to how you're eating, you know, both on the under eating side or overeating side, or I've been good, or I've been bad side, you know, then you're going to feel crazy around food, right? (laughs) I I want to stop real quick and just remind everybody, um, if you guys are listening to this and this is totally resonating and you're like, oh my God, I need to know more about, about Isabel Fox and Duke. It's uh, your kick-ass life forward slash three, five. We'll send you to a link so you can learn more. She has resources over there to help you. And, um, you know, just talking about this is, is like, like I'm having like a physical reaction because I remember so well, like thankfully, and I thank God, and I'm so grateful for the work that I've done on this. Like I remember like how that used to be and it was a dark place. So my heart goes out to anyone listening who is there right now. And we both want to tell you that there is hope. There is another way to, to get out of this cycle. So, um, so is there any more criteria that you, that I, that you missed before I go on to the next question? Yeah. And then, you know, I always just say, you know, bring it back to body image every time, you know, like, again, like this isn't, you know, we tend to focus on the food being the problem. But I think oftentimes, you know, at the end of the day, like if body image issues didn't exist, food problems also wouldn't exist, right? Like your food would not be an issue if you weren't like constantly trying to control your weight, right? And um, we can talk about a little bit more of like, you know, 
trying to control your weight is often a symptom, I think, of trying to control a lot of other things in your life and kind of like getting into like why women like become obsessed with weight control to begin with. Yeah. And Uh, that's what, that's, yeah, exactly. Because I think that a lot of women who listen to my podcast and follow my work, like these women are high achieving, they love control. And many of them um, are, and, and, you know, and I say them, but it's like of us, like I, you know, I am included in this. It's still something that I work on on a one day at a time basis, but we're, we're addicted to the certainty and outcomes. And, you know, mm-hmm. I know that this is futile, but so how, how does all of your work help women with the whole issue of control? Well, basically, so weight is often like this perfect greeting brown for all of our control freakness to surface. And it's like this perfect like battleground, to, like work out all of our control issues. Because I think a lot of women often see their weight as one thing that they can theoretically control. Although I will say, I think that that is um, an illusion. Um, but a lot of women see weight as the one thing that they can control that will dictate their happiness in all of these other areas of their life, right? So um, if I lose 20 pounds, then I'll find a husband. If I lose 20 pounds, mm-hmm. then I'll get promoted. If I lose 20 pounds or 50 pounds or 100 pounds, whatever it is, then or five, then all of these things will like line up in my life and like everything will be great. I remember like used to like I used to lie in bed and fantasize about what my life would be like if I lost a certain amount of weight. Oh, yeah, so did I. Yeah, like, like, I would just be like, oh my gosh, like, that will be the day. Like, once I lose this weight, I will be like frolicking on the beach. Yeah, it was like it's celebrity like, status. Yeah, yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. Like, everything will be amazing. I will have everything that I want. Everything will go my way, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what really all this control stuff boils down to. It's like, everything will go my way. Like, I will have the perfect relationship, the perfect job. I will have the perfect friends. Everything everyone will, will Everyone me. will act the way I want them to. <laughs> right. Everyone will, exactly, like, exactly. Like, I will be able to control how other people feel about me mm-hmm. if I lose weight. And that's, I think, the biggest myth that um, women need to like grapple with amongst themselves is like, that's just not true. Like, guess what? Like you could be as thin as you want to be. And like some guys still not going to want to marry you. Like you can be as thin as you want to be. And like, there are going to be people who still don't like you. Like you can be as thin as you want to be. And there's still, you're still going to struggle with your career. Like you're still going to like have like moments of uncertainty and moments of self doubt. And like, these are just human things. No one, no one can avoid life. You know, like no one can avoid like fear and insecurity to a certain extent. Like these things are not things that are solved through weight loss. They're solved through like, you know, people always say, so then what's the solution to all these problems? Like, well, that's when we start talking about like modern spirituality and self-help and like, you know, changing your thought patterns and belief systems and all of this great work that like generalist life coaches like yourself are talking about. Like those are like the real solutions Mm -hmm. to all of the problems that most people are trying to solve through weight. Oh my God. So I remember, and you know, if you've been following me for any length of time, especially from the beginning when I used to write a lot about my, my eating disorder um, that I had in my twenties, I remember totally thinking that way. Like that was my belief. If I was, um, you know, I, I had, you know, kind of like had this on again, off again relationship with my eating disorder and it got really bad and I got really sick right after my divorce, which is kind of typical. I think like anytime you're going through grief and things like that, that's what's triggered it. I was always triggered by any kind of crisis. Mm-hmm. Or even just a hard time, not even a crisis, just stress in general, because I wanted something to control. When I couldn't control my life, when I felt out of control, right. I turned to that. It was my yeah. symptom at that time. So um, I remember 
I had gone, I had pretty much, my biggest symptom was restricting. So I had kind of starved myself down to this ideal size and weight that I thought, you know, was going to be my golden ticket. And I remember getting there. And I remember being in a dressing room of a, of a Banana Republic and having to ask the salesperson for a size. Like I zipped up these jeans that were already a very small size and they were too big. And I remember feeling this feeling of victory, like I had done it. Like mm-hmm. it was some kind of, like it was a goal that I had. And then I remember like the weeks that followed feeling so fucking depressed because mm-hmm. my life didn't change. Yeah. Because I yeah. was like, where, where, it, where, where's all the where love? They- where is all this like stuff that I thought that I made up was going to happen? And that made me feel worse. So yeah. it was like this cycle that just kept going and going. And then um, for me, like my hair started to fall out and like my friends and family were like, I could see the looks on their faces. They were just like, you're not. And it scared me. That's like really when it started to scare me. And luckily for me, and I know this isn't the case for a, a lot of people, but I I just decided I was like, I can't do this anymore. And it's just... I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was God, the universe, or what. Just said it's time. It's time to get help for this because this isn't this isn't working anymore. So sadly, and I know this happens a lot. I just traded in one addiction for another until I finally, just a few years ago, was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I that know happened, that. Oh, yeah, that happens there. all the time. I remember when I like stopped screwing around with my food. I got really like workaholic. I think mm-hmm. I've even talked to you about that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, I think that it's so it's so easy to. Um, you know, these control issues can show up in any area of our life. And food is just a there, food is just a really easy one, particularly for women, because the media panders to that particular belief system. Like the media really panders to your life will be amazing if you lose 20 pounds and like unicorns and rainbows will pop out of the sky. And you know, there'll be like a pot of gold like everywhere you turn and you know surrounded by cute boys and Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like everything will be perfect. Right. So, you know, I think that that is a particular, it's an easy one. Food is just an easy sort of, again, battleground for your control issues to like take place because we are, are taught that we are, these beliefs that we have around food are often supported by our culture, which is really unfortunate and really sad. Um, what's interesting, of course, is like, I think that people tend to say, you know, this restrictive behaviors often, very often lead to binge eating behavior. So it's like, regard, I want to just say that to everyone out there. Like you could be on either side of the spectrum. You could be on the, I can't control myself around food. I keep eating everything that isn't nailed down side or the under eating side. And like, they often, they, they have the same root problem. You know, it's the Mm -hmm. same like root cause, whether it's like binge eating or under eating. It's like, it all boils down to the same, same concept of like, you're trying to control that which is uncontrollable through trying to manipulate your weight. And, um, yeah, I think that that's, that's really kind of like what this work sort of like boils down to. Yeah. Well, let's talk about triggers for a moment here. And so what do you think, you know, I had mentioned that uh, personally speaking, a lot, my triggers were stress and, um, any kind of like overwhelm. And, And I think that on a little bit of a deeper level was I was trying to control, everyone and it was a lot of codependence too like everyone in my life and mm-hmm. when you know obviously that's never going to happen and i didn't i was i was determined to be the one that could do it so mm-hmm. that's what would trigger me so i'm sure that's probably typical but are there any other triggers yeah so definitely trying to control other people i think is the biggest one anytime we're dealing with moments un- uncertainty in general 
right? Mm-hmm. Like we will strive for control in moments of uncertainty. You know, I always say like, that's why religion exists to give people an answer to uncertainty, to the inherent uncertainty of, mm-hmm. of being a human in the world, right? Like you will never not have to deal with uncertainty. How you deal with it is kind of more the question. And, you know, some people deal with it through religion. Some people do deal with it through the religion of food, right? Like some people do it through the religion of thinness. Mm-hmm. Some people deal with it by, you know, work. Some people deal with it. People deal with it in all sorts of different ways. But basically any type of uncertainty you could probably possibly be facing could theoretically be a trigger. It's just a matter of like, how are you going to start to deal with uncertainty going forward? How do you want to train yourself to deal with uncertainty? Because uncertainty ain't going away. Life is uncertain. So it's funny when I first got sober, um, and I I was working with somebody and and she, and I was telling her, like, I was naming all my triggers. I'm like, well, summer is my trigger. And you know, this is my trigger. And she looked at me and she goes, life is our trigger. Right. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. That's the thing. It's like, I think there's, you know, a lot of people saying like, oh, well, when I deal with my issues from childhood, this will go away. And like, well, of course, like if you have like trauma in your past and like need to deal work stuff out from your past, like, sure, that's super important. That stuff can bring up a lot of stuff in your present moment. Like that stuff doesn't go away. However, unless you deal with it. However, even if you had like a completely clean emotional history, like for the rest of your life, you will be dealing with uncertainty. New things are going to always come up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how do you want to deal? with them, right? That's why I kind of like life coaching as a field. And that's why I really like coaching as a field in general is because it's forward thinking, you know, like, how are you going to deal with situations as they arise going forward? Yeah. And that's where um, certainly I think food related, again, both restricting and overeating behaviors kind of come into play is like, when we're dealing with fear around uncertainty in the future, like, is that guy going to call me back? All of a sudden, I feel really fat and like want to diet. And the second I want to diet, I also want to eat 10 boxes of cookies. I'm feeling a lot of things like Uh all at the same time. I'm in food brain, right? Like not like nondescript food brain, which includes a lot of different thoughts and behaviors because I food brain is way safer than dealing with the fear of like, wow, this this guy might reject me. Yeah. everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. 
On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Yeah, again, you guys, your kick ass life forward slash three, five, 35. And, um, Oh, and I had a, I had a question for you, and now I totally forget what it was. But <laughs> um, so it just one thing that I want to ask you before before we wrap it up is that because this this is a this is a complex multi layered issue, and so how mm-hmm. does someone know if they need like you went to rehab? So how does someone yep. know if they need like intense therapy for their childhood trauma issues, or yep. a psychologist, or if they can work with someone like you to heal their issues? Yeah, totally. So I think that, um, again, like anything, if you have like past stuff that you need to deal with, like past like trauma, anything like that, I think therapy is really important. Therapy and coaching, as you know, are like very different things. I actually think they're really complementary. So I think Mm -hmm. if you are interested in pursuing therapy, go for it. I would say definitely if you're engaging in any self-harming behaviors, that's certainly where I cross the line of like, okay, you need more than coaching. Like if you are purging, like I think that you need to see somebody who's like a clinician of some kind. Um, So that's sort of where I generally like cross the line with like from, okay, coaching is not enough is if you're at risk to yourself, you know, if you're like clinically underweight or like eating like starvation amounts of food or purging or you know, feel like you're in like physical harm of any kind, coaching is not the answer for you. It may be like part of the solution at some point in the future or, you know, going forward, but only as a complement or addition to clinical treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's definitely like one thing that I cross a line with. And also, you know, I, again, I think that coaching and therapy actually go really well together. If you're like saying, you know, like I really do need to work out some stuff that was going on with my family or some trauma stuff in the past, you know, coaching and therapy, like, you know, can, can go well together. Also, I have, you know, a lot of clients who work with me while working with a therapist. Yeah. Um, if you're in a position where, you know, you're kind of dealing with, okay, like I, feel this on or off the wagon thing. And I'm constantly, you know, and I feel like, um, I, you know, I'm constantly trying to like control my food, in my head, or I feel really insecure about my body all the time, or I'm like constantly trying to lose weight. And I don't know how to not want, I don't know how to stop constantly being on this on or off the wagon type of thinking. I think that that's where coaching becomes really helpful because in coaching, we're going to be talking about, a lot of like rejigging the belief systems that are that are keeping you stuck in this on or off the wagon kind of mentality. Like that's really where my particular sweet spot is, is for those women who are constantly like, I'm on or off the wagon. I'm being good or bad. Like I'm good all day long. And then I like binge eat cookies mm-hmm. at night. You know, I'm not necessarily physically harming myself outside of like weight gain. I know some of you are going to like think that that's physically harming. It's not necessarily. Um, it depends on what's going on. Um, it, you know, anyway, point is if you, um, you know, I think that like 
I, I think that that's this mentality, this honor off the wagon mentality of like, I'm like constantly trying to control my food, but then also feel like I can't control my food. That's where I'm really good at like kind of swooping in and like kind of normalizing that, that belief system, you know, and like helping us really like uncover the belief system. Again, I think therapy is always a great idea as a compliment for anyone who wants to, you know, get into therapy. I think that's awesome. Um, but I would say my, the clear bottom line for when you really need clinical treatment is when you're feeling like you're hurting yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad to, to hear you clarify that. And I think there's a lot of people listening to, and what I hear a lot from women is, it's, there's there's shame too in in getting a little bit older and still still dealing with this issue. I hear that a lot from women that are in their 30s and 40s and beyond that are saying like I've done so much work on myself. I've been through therapy. I've healed my childhood issues. You know, I, I quit doing this or that, but I still cannot get through this. And I, I remember one lady telling me, I feel like the, I'm the oldest woman alive that still is struggling with this, and she was like in her 40s. So yeah. it just it. It's so interesting the amount of shame that that is wrapped up in all of this. And again, so your kickass life forward slash three five if you want to to hear more about Isabel. And so tell us about because you have something um, that's coming up that I know you've been working on for a really long time that is going to change people's lives. So tell us about your program. Yeah. So, um, my program is called stop fighting food. Uh, this is a program that I've been working on for a really long time. This is like a flagship program. And basically the idea is to help women do exactly that. Stop fighting food. You know, I always say the second you get in the ring with food, the second you're like sitting on your hands, trying not to eat, you know, constantly feeling like, Oh my gosh, like I'm going to slip. I'm going to slip. I'm going to slip. I feel like I'm, you know, terrified of falling into a pile of brownie batter Mm -hmm. I can't swim out of, you know, those kinds of feelings where you're kind of dealing with like fear around food and fear of weight gain and like constantly trying to like lose weight and, you know, all that stuff when you're fighting with it, when you're in food brain, that's what I'm trying to address in my program. That's sort of, again, my sweet spot. So I created this program. I have a free video training series, totally free. You guys should check it out. Um, that's just going to talk about sort of like some key basic principles to getting out of crazy food brain. What creates crazy food brain? You know, what some of the, some, some clear distinctions, like what we talked about today, like the, my definition of dieting versus definitioning a binge. I have a couple other like key distinctions that I think are going to be really helpful to, um, just kind of have a new way of thinking about food that helps you feel a little bit more, you know, quote, normal around mm-hmm. food. I know that that's a touchy word, but, um, you know, I think that that resonates with a lot of people is that a lot of women who are dealing with food, they just feel really abnormal. They feel like, why can't I get this? What's wrong with me? That's sort of like the biggest thing I hear people, women saying. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely go ahead and, and uh, on the, in the show notes, you can see a trailer for that video training series. And if you're, if you're interested in learning more based on the, based on the trailer, I highly recommend you sign up for the video training series. Again, it's free. should be really, really good information. And then beyond that, if you know, you need even more kind of support around this or feel really compelled to do this work, there's a, a longer four-month program that I'm going to be offering as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and please note, you guys, I am an affiliate for Isabel's program. I legally have to tell you that, but it's not more expensive <laughs> because of that. And I just, I only, I'm affiliates for very, very few people. And I only do this for people where I fully 
um, where I fully believe in and support your work and, and Isabel's one of them. And I just, I want to, I want to, again, reiterate, like in hearing you talk about this, I'm just like, it's, I forget how far I am from that girl I used to be. And today I don't, I, you know, I, I worked with a trainer recently and she's coined the term fueltarian and she helps people eat for, um, and she used to have an eating disorder too. And that's one why I hired her. She used to have binge eating disorder and, and, and she taught me like how to fuel my body and I wasn't having like symptoms anymore, but I just was, I just didn't feel good. Like I was just eating the wrong food. So, uh, it's amazing how I don't think about food anymore. Yeah. Like if I'm hungry, I'm like, oh, okay, well, well, have I had enough protein today? Oh, well, you know, and like, it just yeah. is a non-issue. And like, I just yeah. want to tell you, like, you guys, I have dealt with some shit in my life. Like you all know, yeah. <laughs> I've been through hell and back. So I don't, I don't have this angelic story where it's been really easy for me. Hence, it's easier to heal my stuff. What it came down to was doing the work. And if you've been operating this way for a long, long time, it's going to take some intense work to get through it. But please know that it's possible and it's, there's hope and there's, you know, again, like Isabel was saying, like if you think that you need um, more support with therapy, then go that route and um, but definitely, I mean, you have nothing to lose by signing up for the the free video series. And again, I, I'm so happy that you're putting this this out for people because it's so needed. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad. And I'm just so glad that you, you brought that up. Like this idea of what if I could live a life that wasn't thinking about food all day long? Like yeah. what if I could just like only think about food when I was hungry or like only think about food when it was time to eat. Like, what if that was my life? Like, what if food was just like a regular part of my day? Just like, you know, the way you envision like, quote unquote, again, the most normal eater on the planet. Like, what if that were me? Like, I didn't think that was possible for so long. Mm -hmm. I just thought that I was dealt the bad hand that I would just be, you know, screwed with food forever. And like, I feel like, you know, that's really the gift that I'm on the planet to share with women is, you know, you actually can have a relationship with food where food is just food. Food is just and it's food. A, yep. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a source of pleasure, right? Like I, I don't, I don't love the term food is just fuel because I, I do think food is more than fuel. I think we should be getting pleasure from mm-hmm. food. I yeah. think that we should be enjoying food and, you know, it has a, an important, you know, social, you know, part in our lives and celebratory part in our lives, but it's, it doesn't need to take up all of our brain space. It doesn't need to be something that we're constantly managing and constantly like making ourselves feel badly about and constantly, you know, feeling like, oh gosh, like I can't hold myself back from the cookies. And then I feel like shit the next day. Like that's a situation that we can actually, we are totally capable of relinquishing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's why I could never like be like a bodybuilder and I'm like, no, I cannot commit my life to just like chicken breast and asparagus. Like I have double chocolate Milano cookies in my, in my cupboard and I love them. I want to eat them and I eat them. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it. Like I'll just have like, like a cookie and it's amazing. And then I move on. (laughs) Who cares? Yeah. And then you just like, then you never think about it again. Right. It's just a non-issue. Like normal people. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Just a non issue. It's just a totally, totally like non-issue. That's sort of like where I want to get women. And I think that, yeah, it's freedom, man. It's freedom. It's like, 
you do not need to like constantly be living in food brain, right? Mm -hmm. Like food brain is protecting you from a lot of things because it's like, it's keeping you from dealing with a lot of things that you're gonna deal with when you get out of food brain. Um, and that's going to be intense and challenging. And yeah. like you said, there's work to be done, but at the same time living in What's food the brain, alternative? exactly. Mm -hmm. Like do you really want to live in food brain for the rest of your life. Like that is, it's, it's a miserable place to be. So, um, yeah. So hopefully the video training series will like give you all like a little bit of a taste of like what's involved in getting out of food brain. And from there, you know, you can make a decision as to whether or not you want, you want more support and want to do the, the bigger program. Yeah. Your kickass life four slash three, five y'all. And thank you so much for being here. I, I forgot just, I, I, I love talking about this and I love talking to you. So it's been such a pleasure. You've totally made my day and I hope that everyone out there has, um, has learned something from this and can get the support they need. Yay, me too. Thanks, Andrea. All right, everybody. See you next time for episode 36. And until then, keep kicking ass. Bye-bye. comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.